Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How are you? I'm looking forward to when I edit the beginning of this episode, because normally what I have to do is I have to go on, cut off the dead, you know, the dead spot at the beginning and at the end. Mm-hmm. But we timed that really well. Like, you said hello. Like, there's, a, I, I don't know if I even have to edit, like, between the end of the music and you saying hello. Like, we, we really did that well this time. Well, I, uh... For listeners who couldn't figure it out from uh, last week, we're recording one episode after another because uh, as of right now, I am in Chicago, and so I'm not in a position to... Chi-town. Ugh. The Windy City. What are some other... other I I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Are there there more? Probably, but I'm moving on (laughs) because I don't like... I really don't like any of them. Uh, (laughs) And I want to stay focused this time around. Yeah, let's keep this brief. So, um, but yes, and so I am sort of more in the zone. I don't have to like sit, clear my throat, and clear my head uh, <laughs> before I go into the loud hello. But uh, okay, so we're going to switch things around a little bit. We don't necessarily want to start as we have in the last couple of weeks. Uh, we don't want to start with the our sponsors and that sort of thing. We want to we want to start with other things, and we'll yeah. get to the sponsors. Plus, in we moment. don't want you guys catching on and just skipping the first five minutes. Or hey. let, let's be honest, fifteen yeah. minutes. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, I have to assume that the sponsors really regret giving us uh. the money <laughs> that they are because they're just like, oh, okay, oh, they said the name of it. oh, what, what, Louisville, and so. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so now we're David, getting the stuff out about Wonder Mill and tweaked and all all this, yeah. all this stuff. So one? We'll, we'll there was oh, no more. They're gone, yeah, <laughs> they're, they're dead to they're us. Dead, we don't exactly. mention them anymore. So they're um, debt to us. What? Um, so uh, David, in the last episode, uh, which is like an hour ago, uh-huh. um, something struck you as we were talking about uh, Snow White and the Huntsman. And the Huntsman, yeah. Uh, in which you gave it a letter sorry, grade. I, no, Snow White and the Huntsman. <laughs> Snow White and the Huntsman. Uh, so, yeah, I said you gave it an I A said, minus, and that that immediately. Yeah, and it isn't about the A minus. I mean, it is about the. Uh, anyway, here's what it's about. Last year, if you look at my top ten, uh, I should have pulled up my top ten in the break, but I think, um, I don't think there was anything in my top ten. Uh, uh, of 2011 that could have been considered a major studio release. There were some Sony Pictures Classics releases mm-hmm. like Take Shelter and Fox Searchlight releases like The Tree of Life, but there weren't any big movies, whereas just the year before, I'd had Toy Story 3 and Scott Pilgrim vs. the World and maybe even some... Avatar, I think uh, you had. Oh, that was two, uh, That was 2009. Oh. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Avatar was yeah. There was wasn't a lot. So last year, I think this is you know you and I had a discussion about what kind of year was 2011 because I thought it was a very good year and you thought it was a mediocre year. I, I guess I thought uh, it was uh, having seen more films mm-hmm. uh, since then from last year. I think it was a good year. Okay, uh, but not and necessarily great. I thought it was a wonderful year, um, but not for studio films. Really, mm-hmm. there weren't that many. Uh, on my on studio my, films and well-established major, major filmmakers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's, yeah, that's maybe another question because we've got a lot of well-established filmmakers in 2012 with movies to come. We've got obviously another Woody Allen coming out. We've got Paul Thomas Anderson, Steven Spielberg, uh, Steven Spielberg, Boz Lerman yeah. is someone that I like. Um, uh, we've already had a Wes Anderson film this mm-hmm. year, but uh, looking at my, my top 10, because I keep my top 10 throughout the year. Um, uh, like f- my top and again uh, there are weird things that I do based on like copyright date and initial premiere so there are certain great movies like Haywire that have come out in 2012 that I don't but Haywire it's again it's kind of a studio movie a relativity it's a, yeah. I don't know um, but there are other things like like Bernie you know that would be higher on my list if it if I counted as a 2011 movie so like my top movies right now are all major studio releases. And not just major studio releases, but huge releases. Yeah. Like among the biggest movies of the year so far. Um, and they are uh, Snow, White and, Snow White and the Huntsman, uh, The Hunger Games, and The Avengers. Mm-hmm. Um, and also uh, Five Year Engagement is still within my top ten right now. Um, I imagine that won't 
hold. Right. I mean, I like the movie, but I just know even in a, if this turns out to be not a very good year for year for movies, I'll probably see a few more things better than five year engagement. Mm. Um, uh, but um, I wanted to get your impression of this year so far. We're kind of um, a month away from the halfway point, I guess. Um, uh, I, I think at the, when we did our episode where we talked about what kind of year it was, I kind of talked about how I am at a point where I almost, I don't know if I lower my expectations, but I don't raise, I don't have very high expectations, I guess, when something comes from a major studio, because I know that a certain amount of money was poured into it. So it has to hit a certain amount of quadrants and it has to be popular in a certain amount of countries. And, and it's not a recipe for powerful art. Right. And yet here we have the Avengers, the Hunger Games, and Snow White and the Huntsman, uh, all being, in my opinion, uh, powerful, uh, lasting, effective films. Now, I'd be interested to know, uh, this time of year, last year, like, what would your top ten have yeah, looked I mean, like? Well, because I'm, this not is sure, I'm not for sure, but at this time of the year last year, I know I had already seen The Tree of Life and The Future, which... Okay both stayed in my top 10 for the whole whole the whole run yeah um i hadn't seen take shelter yet what were the uh, you know what we can't get uh, hung up on last year but uh but yeah and this has been an, an interesting year just as far as big movies anyway because i mean box office has been through the roof mm-hmm. primarily due to the hunger games and, and the avengers yeah. but then there's also movies that have been major flops john carter Battleship, Dark Shadows. Right. Men in Black 3 has done well, but not as well as expected. It still won, won uh, the weekend when it came out but with Avengers be, you know, behind it. But uh, it's, it's been interesting. As, and this is a, a big year for established filmmakers and big studio sequels or uh, reboots or, or whatever. And so... Um, so yeah, and I'm not really sure why. I there's there's probably there's probably a, a website out there that that has that like theorizes as to what it is about a specific year uh, that may that makes I don't know a correlation between a year and the the types of movies that come out that year. Like for and, example, and we should also say. Um because of how early we're recording this, we have no idea how Snow White and the Huntsman did right. the opening weekend. That's true, yes. And Even though so, it's been out for more than a week at this point, we're recording early. Yeah, and, and at this point, I have no idea. I can't even predict how well it will do. Yeah. Um, I hope it does well. Yeah, you really liked it. And also, I mean, not that I care if, you know, I mean, I'm glad Universal lets me see the movies uh, early, but I am... I give negative reviews when they're called for, and I don't care if they lose money. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I've heard reported budget of $170 million for Snow White and the Huntsman, which is a lot. But I'll say it looks even more expensive than that. It well, that's looks, good. The movie looks like it cost a ton of money. Uh, yeah. Whereas Dark Shadows, I didn't really see a yeah. lot of it on the screen. Uh, and I, I wonder if it's that Johnny Depp commands a higher paycheck than Charlize Theron. Probably. He, he probably does. Well, yes, I, undoubtedly. Yeah, but um, For sexist reasons. Is that what it is? That's exactly what it is. Okay. There's, I can't totally tell if you're kidding. There's no argument to be had Okay, here. all right, fair enough. <laughs> I mean, hey, Monster came out the same year as uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Yes. Make of that what you will. <laughs> so No, but I mean, it, uh, yeah, obviously, Johnny Depp has headlined more uh, high-grossing movies, but mm. he gets those roles because Hollywood is a sexist place. Well, I mean, Ange- there's Angelina Jolie, like yeah. I guess there's there's an exception to every rule. Yeah, but um, you know, in a in a perfect world, Charlize Theron would be commanding just as high a paycheck as a as a Will Smith. Would she? Is she? Uh, she's that much of a draw yours- for me. You yourself said that she in your she, review. She's, she's not great in this movie, <laughs> right? Uh, but she can be a very uh, great actress. Yes, yeah. and so maybe it's it's the ability to take a role in a large film and actually do something with it. Like Hancock is not that good of a movie, but damned if Will Smith isn't doing a good job with it. Like there's a certain degree of okay. on-screen charisma that I think you need right. to be a star, not merely an actor or not even yeah. merely a leading, uh, you know actor who's or a star? actress. Who's that? That Chris Hemsworth. 
Yeah. That guy, did I say this last week? Yeah, I think so. That I need to stop underestimating, yeah. underestimating him? Yeah. I knew I said it. I didn't know if it was on mic or not. Yeah, but I think that guy has true, like, movie star qualities. Yeah. In, like, the, I know this is, like, the the standard bearer for modern day, but, like, in the Clooney sense that he's a movie star and he can act. Yeah, I'd say that's about right. I think maybe, yeah. Um, yeah, he has a great deal of, even in Cabin in the Woods, mm-hmm. uh, he's he does a really good job of making the character intelligent when he needs to be, not very smart when he needs to be, and make the transition yeah. somewhat seamless. Um, yeah, there's some screenplay problems that make it less than seamless, right. in my opinion. But, but his performance yeah. makes it seem organic at the very least. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but to go back to your original your original point, yeah, I think when I look at when I think back on my favorite movies of last year, they're almost all independent, mm-hmm. um, or or at the very least smaller. You know, movies the, like Win Win and Super, and certainly you know Entrance and yeah, and Win Win is a, I think also a Fox Searchlight. It's one of those like yeah. Uh, studio indie things right like like take shelter or a tree of life i guess and so um but yeah every every once in a while like there's just this a year where let me focus i don't recall tinker taylor soldier spy was focus that sounds right yes. that was also in my top 10 i usually like i usually like focus releases they're, they're usually pretty solid um but uh yeah every once in a while there's just a, a year when for whatever reason maybe it's just i don't know it's big movies they do they do well but they're also just genuinely good now of course dark shadows wasn't good and by all accounts battleship was better than some expected but still not very good that's what Um, it seems to be but then people even i've not seen men in black three but people said that was better than expected and uh I, I the more I see of Spider Man, uh the less interested I am and the mm-hmm. and the more like I really you mean thought the it amazing Spider Man. I refuse to call it that. Okay. Uh, I haven't seen it. So I don't know if it's amazing or not. But that's to differentiate it from the Sam Raimi film that is only ten years old. Right. Which is simply called Spider Man. I know, but it I feel I feel like the film is now forcing me to call it a positive thing. <laughs> I don't know, I don't like that. Um the we'll see Spider Man is, is what I'll say. But um <laughs> You know, and uh, and then of course there's there's the Dark Knight. So it's just there. There seems to be like this weird, I don't know, like a perfect storm where a lot of movies like have sequels or re- reboots like all in the same year that make. So I I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the year there are you know major releases from Steven Spielberg, Paul Thomas Anderson, oh Ridley Scott, uh, Ridley Scott. Yeah. Do you think now we don't normally get into box office prognostication because neither of us is really that good at it, right? Or interested in it. But do you get the impression that Prometheus is going to be a big hit outside of the genre community? Because I'm starting to get the feeling that people, like regular people, are excited for it. I think they have. I think it's been because when you talk about box office, you do have to talk about marketing and promotion. I think it has been promoted and marketed in just the right kind of way, as opposed to John Carter, which tried to be all things to all people. Prometheus is more like Inception, uh, where there's just you still don't totally know what it is. Oh, yeah. You have an idea and you know that it's kind like of the matrix. Was. Yeah. Just what, like what is this Prometheus thing? And then you see like these things about like cyborgs and you see the, the, the Wayland, uh, Ted she- talk and all that. And it's just like, they're promoting it in the, I think the perfect way for it to be a hit with non genre people. Yeah. And I, that excites me. I hope it's the good. matrix and how, how little was given away in that trailer. And then, not particularly. No, I don't uh, really remember it. There's like, like everyone wanted to see, it, but there's so little that I know, and I still remember the feeling of being in the theater when Carrie Ann Moss like runs up the wall and then jumps in the air and kicks that cop in the face, and I, I still remember that feeling of being like, "Holy shit, I have made the right purchasing decision." <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, the reason I was thinking about for me this being a crossover hit is that I was on the bus the other day with my headphones and listening to music, reading Entertainment Weekly's like article about Prometheus they did a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, this guy sitting next to me, he like tapped me on the shoulder, and, like I took my headphones out, and he like gestured toward my magazine. He was like, "That's gonna be fucking dope." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, that guy might be a, a big sci-fi buff. Maybe, you never know, maybe." But I, I mean, he just seemed like, a, and I ended up talking to him. Uh, you know, uh, a little bit, and I know he I, and he he'd never seen 
he'd seen aliens but he'd never seen alien this mm. guy so that's what made me not just the fact that he said it was gonna be fucking dope yeah. i talked to him and i don't think he is a huge sci-fi fan because right. he hasn't seen alien so it made me think like this is I think I think there is I think it's a film that more than anything is intriguing and just uh-huh. and people you know when you say Ridley Scott they may not admit, I think people probably know the name but then when you say the director of Gladiator and and movies that people like I think it you know as you said like we could be way off and the film could be a huge flop I don't uh-huh. know but I think it's it's just enough of that kind of intriguing mysterious marketing that I think that I think people will be like, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I talk to people who aren't sci-fi people and they're excited about it because it just, it's, it's aside from like dark Knight, it's really one of the only movies that's getting like a certain type of buzz. Yeah. Like a real anticipation as opposed to, it's like, yeah, we'll see how that Spider-Man movie comes. Yeah, I'll see it. Right. As opposed to like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm excited for Prometheus. Here's what I'll say in summation of this little mini topic before we move on. Mm -hmm. Um, because of the Avengers being good, the Hunger Games being good, and especially because of me liking Snow White and the, and the Huntsman, which I did not see coming, mm-hmm. big studio movies for the summer that I was skeptical about. I'm. I feel like my my armor is softening a little bit. Like I'm maybe kind of being open to the idea that something, even maybe the Amazing Spider-Man, might be good. It probably won't, but like I'm. I, I'm I'm skeptical enough that I was have been skeptical even about Prometheus and The Dark Knight Rises, which mm-hmm. a lot of uh, a lot of people um, seem to be treating as foregone conclusions that they'll right. be great, which always bothers me um, when that sort of thing happens. But um, I, I'm I, anyway that this this year being or this first half of the year being uh, good for me for studio movies has given me some hope about these other studio movies that are coming out this summer. Yeah. And in, in many ways we don't have a whole lot of reason to doubt them. I mean, well, except for every film Ridley Scott has made since Black Hawk down. And I didn't see kingdom of heaven. I heard that like the director's cut is actually, I did not see the director's cut. I saw the theatrical cut and it was okay. There was, you know, um, but you know him him returning to uh, a time when I really really liked uh-huh. his output, um, I think is enough to it to excite me. And then you know, seeing funny, what like, I've seen of it, talking about uh, how things are received, like both Alien and Blade Runner were not universally acclaimed critically on their release. Yeah, it's it's funny how things. Now I believe Blade Runner is like in the AFI top hundred. Yeah, which is strange to me. Um, yeah. But yeah, and so like you've got what is it, the Born Legacy, Legacy yeah. which is Tony Gilroy. Like yeah. you've got good filmmakers, and I, this is what you, what you're talking about. Like most of the time, blockbusters. I mean, you can see the the dollar signs, you can see mm-hmm. the machinations of the studio. Whereas, you know, you've got, and you and I ha- have a difference of opinion on Hunger Games, but you've got Gary Ross, who's a filmmaker who actually wants to do something whether mm-hmm. whether or not he he accomplishes it he has goals in mind he, he doesn't really care just about the money you've got uh you know joss whedon you've got christopher nolan you've got i don't remember the name of the director of the amazing spider-man mark webb mark webb thank you um and he though i'm not a huge fan of uh, 500 days of summer like he clearly is a director who is interested in doing things tony gilroy certainly ridley scott not so much lately, but I think his return to this marks yeah. uh, shows that he is interested in doing something new, and so um, I think that's what makes the difference. Like, I don't think it matters uh, if there's like a huge budget or if there's a you know um, major studio involvement, unless you get something like John Carter, where they're a little where you can tell the studio is skeptical of the product. And so they pour so much money into it that now they're invested mm-hmm. and that uh, that they really want to make sure they get their money back because they put so much money into it. But um, but and even then you had Andrew Stanton, who is a filmmaker who clearly was trying to do something. And for that reason, I think John Carter is an interesting film. I'm not sure if I'd say I like it that much, but um, I don't know. I, I As long as like budget does not scare me and studio involved and it coming out of a studio doesn't scare me as long as the person in charge actually has something they want to try and do and maybe i should start coming around to that way of thinking 
And maybe I should start. And maybe this year will help you. Yeah, maybe I should. Um, this is. I'm going to start looking forward to the next film from Rupert Sanders. Mm-hmm. It's a, this is his first feature. He's a commercial director. Yeah. Um, which is usually not a good sign, I think. Um, but. I think that's where Francis Lawrence came from, and I have I'm a defender of his films. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's uh, do some. Uh, let's pay the bills here. Absolutely. Um, now, uh, first and foremost, I hope to God. I mean, we've been going 20 minutes, and I hope to God you've been getting the full force of this discussion by listening mm-hmm. to it through earbuds from TweakedAudio.com. I mean, I shudder to think of the idea that you might not have done that. I know. Our voices sound so annoying and verbose and pretentious and self-important when you listen through the wrong uh, earbuds. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, if you you haven't, look, don't embarrass yourself any further. I'm not going to tell anybody. (laughs) Just run to the computer. Go to tweakedaudio.com slash pretension. Pick from any number of their uh, uh, styles and colors. And um, you get a third off, free shipping. You're going to love them. Absolutely. They're great. And then just act like you had them all along. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Someone's like, hey, are those different? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't. <laughs> These are my earbuds. Yeah. These have always been my earbuds. And then never call that person again. <laughs> <laughs> 1984. We have always worn these earbuds. Um, <laughs> double plus good earbuds. Tweakedaudio.com slash pretension. All right. Uh, and so uh, we are still sponsored by Wonder Mill Films. And uh, I will uh, read this, but okay. uh, Wonder Mill Films Eat needs. Oh, okay. Wonder Mill Films needs your help to get their smart and acclaimed genre movies onto Netflix, Hulu, and iTunes. From May 25th to June 23rd, the Southern indie filmmakers are raising funds via Kickstarter to gain wider exposure for their sci-fi adventure, A Genesis Found, and their noir thriller, The Nocturnal Third. The films have screened at universities across the Southeast and have been reviewed by Film Threat, Man I Love Films, and Battleship Pretension. To help get Wonder Mill's southern genre films from the south to your couch, visit thenocturnalthird.com or battleshippretension.com and click on the banner ad, or as we call it, the skyscraper ad. And so, uh, and why yes, do we call it that? Because, because that's what it's called. Because that's what it's called. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I didn't, I'm not negating that. I'm saying we like to call it that. Mm-hmm. We enjoy saying that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and so those are we. You saw the Nocturnal Third. I saw Genesis Found. Uh, I like what that production company is putting out and so you will have the opportunity to see it on itunes on netflix on hulu if you go and contribute you know every little bit helps so go to their kickstarter click on the skyscraper ad on the side of battleshippretension.com and uh and help them out okay um now we ended last week's episode on a bit of a cliffhanger did we yeah because i mentioned i mentioned neil mcdonough's uh creepy weird uh uh, face smirking and staring Man. Um, at, at Guy Pierce mm-hmm. for, uh, for God knows how long um, in the movie. Uh, and so let's get into it, shall we? We okay. wanted to talk about, this would be kind of a fun one. I'm glad you have some more because I, I, I had trouble coming up with some. I'm hoping some more come to me as the day goes on. Right. Um, we wanted to talk about creepy images uh, what you're calling this episode what creepy as hell Creepy uh, as hell. here's here's where it came from so jen and i were at disneyland recently as uh, we frequently are and i saw for the first time the phantasmic show and there and as as is often the case with uh with disney shows whether it be the fireworks show or, or world of color over at california adventure um they will show images from all different kinds of, of movies. Uh, well, I mean, they're all Disney movies. That's the, what the, that's the common denominator. But they had a section in Fantasmic that involved the pink, the, uh, pink elephants oh, sequence yeah. from yeah, Dumbo. I've seen Fantasmic. And uh, as I was watching it, I thought, damn, that is creepy as hell. Okay? <laughs> so that's, that's what I thought. And then I, then I started thinking about the movie Dumbo. And I thought... That sequence is so weird because uh-huh. it is not in it does not fit with the film. It's a beautifully animated sequence. I mean mm-hmm. it's it's really great and you can tell it's almost like 
don't know. It's like the movie uh, Fantasia. I haven't seen the movie Fantasia, but I've seen enough sequences here and there to know that like there's not a whole lot of coherence to the to the story. Um, and so it's really just a sequence of beautifully animated. Uh, yeah, a series of beauty, beautifully animated sequences. And that's what the pink elephant sequences in Dumbo. And it's just a dream that uh, Dumbo has while he's uh, while he's drunk and passed out, mm-hmm. which is a weird thing to say about a yeah. baby elephant. Um, but uh, the animation is is this. beautiful. But what, yes, what's your favorite animal to watch at the zoo? <sighs> you know, uh, they're all pretty. If I had to say, I'd say the elephant. <laughs> um, David is making reference to a thing that is wonderful to see. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, Chris Matthews interviewing Newt, Newt Gingrich, Gingrich, and. At the end of a hard-hitting, yeah, yeah, journalistic, where I assume whatever. I haven't seen the other part of the interview, but I assume Chris Matthews and Newt Gingrich they don't agree on much, they're, right. so they're probably going head to head. It spends a solid five minutes. Then they're at the end. Animals. Then they're at the end. They find some common ground in their love yeah. of zoos. It's and a, the, the the exact line is because Chris Matthews said, "What's your favorite animal to watch at the zoo?" And the exact line is. Mm, hard to say probably elephants yeah and just yeah <laughs> and, then, and then you like snakes what about a black mambo <laughs> and just mamba please oh, sorry. uh mamba. and he just he goes what about the reptile cage you like the <laughs> reptile cage and it's just and it's chris matthews still being chris matthews which is assaultive in his uh yeah in his uh, delivery but it's these two guys who clearly love animals and uh it's kind of chris it's kind of sweet on snl daryl hammond daryl hammond yeah and he was great and Chris Catan was Paul Begala. Yeah. He, and Daryl would go, Paul Begala, eight-year-old boy, what do you think about this? <laughs> and what's weird is Chris Sorry. Matthews, the man, has evolved into the parody of himself. <laughs> uh, but that's a, it was a delightful you moment. So horrible. Bob <laughs> Haba. So um, anyway, moving on. YouTube, hardball Chris Matthews, Newt Gingrich. This will probably show up and it'll brighten your day. You know, YouTube. not everything has to be. Sometimes you can find a bipartisan thing. I think if you if you Google in quotes, hard to say, probably elephants. <laughs> it'll come up. We if will there's anything right with the world. I'll see if I can tag that in this <laughs> in this week's episode. Okay, that's neither here nor there. So, the sequence in Dumbo with pink elephants, the animation is weird, but the song is also mm. very disturbing. You know, it starts with "Look out, look out." pink elephants on on parade here they come hippity hoppity (laughs) horrifying okay of elephants hopping yeah also when you think of elephants a phrase you don't think of is hippity hoppity yeah it's it's just a weird sequence it's great but it's creepy as hell and so i so i like the pinocchio uh donkey sequence (sighs) It's, I have it right here, it's, Lampwick. It's scarring. It is scarring. When I think of the things that frightened me as a kid, uh, the, like la- the character of Lampwick turning into a donkey is so disturbing and yeah. frightening. Like that scared me as much as the character of Tote in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, his face melting off. Uh-huh. Like it frightened me that much. That didn't scare me. I don't know if it scared me, but it disturbed me. I, I, you know, kind of gross and, and, uh, creepy. Yeah. Um, and so, um, so I started thinking about, I was scared by the, uh, ship sinking at the beginning of, uh, an American tale, which I don't, when Fabio gets separated from his family, which I don't remember actually. But, uh, so I started thinking about that sequence being creepy, and then it got me started thinking about uh, other Disney sequ- uh, sequence and sequences in Disney films that are creepy. And yeah, then it I started branching the, out. When I go on the Pinocchio ride in Fantasyland at uh, Disneyland, um, like I can't even really enjoy it. Like I, I like I, it brings me back to that childhood feeling of like yeah. this is so awful. And then this is not in the Mister Toad film, but. And you know what? Normally, I don't like to spoil this for people because you could not possibly arrive there on your own. But I will say, if ever you go on Mr. Toad's Wild Ride in Disneyland, uh, you will be treated to the horrifying spectacle of seeming like you're getting hit by a train and then you wind up in hell and then the ride is over. Yeah. (laughs) You go back to your life after you go through hell. And that's the thing is that's... I don't want to necessarily talk about creepiness in like 
family films or kids films but you will find surprisingly creepy imagery Mm -hmm. in stuff meant for children Mm -hmm. and i want and my first instinct is that it goes back to those like grim you know grim's fairy tales where there was some frightening things in there and and it was meant to be frightening yeah but i look at stuff but then i look at speaking of hell like it doesn't in the original story when rumpelstiltskin realizes he's been tricked he stomps on the ground so hard that it opens up and swallows him and he goes down to hell yes i believe so yes uh which is yeah like so there, so it's not unprecedented that stuff meant for for children for families is uh, is creepy but uh so but then you get stuff like for example winnie the pooh mm-hmm. okay winnie the pooh nothing about that story requires creepiness uh-huh then you get to that damn heffalumps and woozles sequence, and uh-huh. that's not super creepy. But when I was a kid and a young kid, when I was like three or four, I remember like getting to that point, and it was just it it wasn't as as creepy as the the sequ- the pink elephant sequence, but it was still so strange that in the midst of this very wholesome film about like stuffed animals come to life, just you get like a a strange little song and all these uh, animals like terrorizing Winnie the Pooh just because he wants honey. Uh, and just, and you get like Jack in the box, we, uh, weasels, I'm sorry, woozles uh-huh. and they pop up and they laugh and their tongues are hanging out. It's really quite creepy. And then I think of one of my favorite characters in literature and in film, specifically the Disney version, uh, the Cheshire cat, uh-huh. in uh, Alice in Wonderland, the Disney version. Uh, not so much the miniseries in which the uh, Cheshire Cat is played by Whoopi Goldberg. What? So, um, <laughs> but no, the Cheshire Cat voiced wonderfully by Sterling Holloway. Like, I love that character, but he is, he creeped me, That that's a creepy movie in general, but that character creeped me out that like he would show up, like his big smiling mouth would show up first mm-hmm. and it would talk and just, I don't know, like, so I wanted to start with like stuff I grew up with and I wanted to to branch out into other scene sequences and maybe entire films that are creepy as hell and I wanted to specify I don't necessarily mean scary there often is an intersection there but I mean just an image or a scene that just you find unsettling like you don't like being there uh, I can think of um, a movie that's not a movie it's actually a TV miniseries but I'm sure you've seen it uh, this might be the transition from kid stuff into more uh, grown-up stuff because I saw this as a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stephen King's It. Yeah. It has a bevy of them. Yeah. But for some reason, the one that sticks with me is like one of the least horrific ones. It's when, and now I can't remember the kids' names, but when the one kid sees his father, uh, if you remember his father who died in the war, mm-hmm. um, he's out by the lake or the reservoir and his father is standing in his uniform on the water mm-hmm. and like beckoning him to come come to you know come out you can walk on the water it's fine it's just like just like pennywise telling uh georgie he can come down oh my gosh uh, is that the one that does it for you is the well, uh, we all float down here because n- not, need the, uh, not the scene but when georgie's following his boat along uh-huh. and he gets there and pennywise is just there just staring out at him you don't expect to see a clown in a storm drain, yeah. but, uh, and just the fact that he's just standing there smiling, just waiting is so terrifying. Yeah. Uh, and that's I, scary. Not so much like yours is, is creepy. Yeah. I think, uh, because of the, I, we're going back to, I can't remember what the episode was when we talked about horror and what makes horror. Uh, it wasn't that long ago. It was at this part of... We were sitting here. Yeah. It was probably the our Halloween episode where we were talking about the difference between horror and suspense. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. And I was talking about the sort of wrongness of something being horrific, mm-hmm. you know, and just... Uh, God, why can't I remember the character's name? The kid. It's not Ralphie. That's a Christmas story. Uh, Richie? But it's not that... Anyway. It's not Georgie's brother. It's the other kid. Yeah, I don't remember that I think uh, John Ritter played the grown-up okay. uh, version of him. You keep, you keep going. I'll get there. Okay. Is it Ben? Uh, Benny is what Benny? I'm getting to, but I don't think that's true. Okay. Uh, anyway, just um, just him seeing, and, and it's broad daylight. Yeah. And 
you know, it's not it's not that Shadow's playing tricks on his eyes. It's there's his father in his uniform standing on the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's so wrong in every way that it's um and and of course the the fact that he's being nice, I guess, but you know it's menacing. You know what, right. you know that this is not that you know that this kid, Benji or whatever his name is, mm-hmm. can't walk on the water. I don't know. I'm I'm overanalyzing it now because I think just describing it would probably did uh, did it justice. It's, I think what you know. I think scary is when the characters. I mean, they recognize like this is strange, and I am frightened. As opposed to, I think the difference between scary and creepy. Creepy. There's almost a casualness to it. There's like, well, yes, this is. Uh, you know, we were making jokes about the the you know the tweaked earbuds where it's like well this is how it's always been you know like that's what makes like twilight zone episodes creepy that is every it makes a weird kind of sense to the characters to some characters usually not our main character but like the cheshire cat showing up with his smile first and then his eyeballs and then his stripes and then the rest of him well this is just how he gets around that's the nature of who i am why is that weird it, but there's that i mean if you've if you read alice in wonderland or through the yes. lesson glass um that's a, a there's a repeated thing of like the rules and facts of the world changing and everyone immediately behaving as if that's how it's always been yeah. it happens a couple times i think in, yeah. in the book and alice is the only one who like sort of realizes it's weird and and the Mad Hatter and, and and whoever they just go along with everything and I I find that very uh, very unsettling and also kind of um, it's it's sort of um, hallucinogenic I don't know if that's the like yeah I don't know it's I think there's there's almost a lingering quality to something that is creepy and I'm sorry for using the I'm going to be overusing the word creepy because that's that's the name of the episode that's the thing we're talking about but um there's almost a lingering quality to it where a character needs like is allowed enough time to get used to this and it's precisely because they're used to it that it's weird to us like okay for example we're now into Ravenous Uh, and yeah I feel like I've been trying not to spoil I've just talked about Neil McDonough's face but I think it's it's early enough in the film. I think we can. Yeah, his character dies, and he falls into a pit with Guy Pierce. He's dead. Guy Pierce is not, but he has to sort of stay in that pit to hide. And his leg, his shin is poking. That's right. His, yes, yes. His... And yeah, like... to survive, he's going to have to eat some of Neil McDonough. Which is fine because he's dead. Well, I mean, it's not fine. No, it's not. Fine. It's frowned upon at least. But it, given that circumstance, understandable. Right. Um, but it's it's Neil McDonough's smiling face. It's yeah, the way that he and died. his bright blue eyes. Yeah, you know, but it's just not really a smile. Out. It's like a smirk. Yeah, I mean, it's his mouth is open a little bit. Yeah, and um, it's and the way it just stares at him, and the fact that the character Boyd just gets used to it like he's mm-hmm. down there for probably what several weeks it's got to be yeah and so enough time for his leg to heal mm-hmm. and so um well his leg heals faster because he because he eats neil mcdonald yeah that's it's just kind of a supernatural movie right um but uh it's also the um the fact that things are different than they were but they're not because mm-hmm. neil mcdonough um is it uh, Reich? Is it Private Reich? Is I it? think so. Reich is dead now, mm-hmm. but he was kind of I mean, not kind of. He was really taunting of Boyd when he was alive. Yeah. So um, it's it's that that disconnect of uh, uh, of him taunting him from beyond the grave and yeah. the, the wrongness of that. Yeah, it's definitely definitely wrongness and just just something being unsettling. Um, but then accepting it and the acceptance of it like in life it's like no 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 we don't accept this when you're watching you're like no don't eat a person i guess i under and then also he's staring at you how about this reach over and close his eyes (laughs) but he doesn't and in fact he actually like talks to him because he needs someone to talk to i guess in theory and uh and so like it's for me, usually the the creepiest element is when characters get used to it, and this will now lead me into the world of David Lynch. Um, oh, okay. 
Now, you haven't seen Inland Empire. I have not, no. Okay, because there's a part that I talked about in our horror thing, and going back to this idea of just something being wrong or off, there's a part, it's a very long take in slow motion. The camera is steady, steady, just mm-hmm. one thing, and you see Laura Dern's character in very slow motion, uh, and it's also kind of blurry. It's not a very clear, you know, the movie shot uh, digitally. It's not a crystal clear image. Mm-hmm. So you see her in in the dark, running in slow motion toward the camera. And it's not until she gets pretty close to the camera that you realize David Lynch has, in post, uh, gone in and messed with the dimensions of her face. So mm-hmm. her eyes are like the wrong shape and her mouth is all distorted and something that a human face can't be. And the fact that you've been looking at this person for, you know, 30, 40 seconds and suddenly are realizing the way, again, it goes back to the way things have been things that her face has been like this, the entire shot, as far as Mm -hmm. you know, but you're only realizing it at the end. Uh, I think that's why it has the effect that it has on me. The one that I want to, uh, talk about, um, yeah, I, I guess that's, you know, creepy can mean a number of things, uh, but, uh, like, I keep going back to this idea that uh, characters are, they grow accustomed to this thing. But also, like, what you're talking about, like, seemingly the whole, sh- you know, you are only realizing that her face is strange now, but I guess it was like that the whole time. Yeah. And so you are, you're not necessarily growing accustomed to oh. it, but you're now realizing that, oh, I was wrong it's, in my assessment. It's like the part in the others where the daughter is playing and then turns around and it's the old woman's face. Yeah. And just, which is a nice scary moment as well. But, uh, I was going to mention, uh, sort of in keeping and, and, uh, sort of, uh, in uh, talking about the, the realization, um, Robert Blake's character in lost highway is <laughs> creepy in general. Uh, but that phone thing. Yeah. <laughs> when, you know, it's just, and and he is, by the way, yeah. a little Cheshire cat like there, yeah. just s- sitting there and smiling. Yeah, as, to uh, describe the, uh, I'll describe the scene yeah, real quick. Yeah. Robert Blake comes up to uh, Bill Pullman's character at a party, and he says, "I can't remember what he says." There's someone that he's got, a, he's got the, uh, a phone. Yeah, and he hands it to Bill Pullman, and it's Robert Blake on the other end of the phone talking to him. Yeah, while Robert Blake is. Standing, standing there, there smiling at him. smiling at him yeah with a uh you know pancake makeup yeah. white on his face um you know and it's just uh and and clearly rob i don't remember the name of robert blake's character nor do i um but uh you know he's he's smiling because he knows like oh this is really gonna this is pretty trippy he's he's not gonna <laughs> expect this um and he's taking pleasure in that, and that is immensely creepy and, and disturbing. Um, and then I also wanted to mention, okay, so the, the whole movie Eraserhead is creepy, but I wanted to specify, to kind of to go back to what I was saying, where when you're living in the world of Eraserhead, nothing in particular is strange. And it's because the characters just walk around as if they were living in our world. But they're not. They're living in a nightmare world. Um, Mm -hmm. And that is what is so unnerving. And I will specify, there's a lot of things I could bring up, but I will specify Jack Nance's child, Uh who is just... I will I will borrow a uh, a line from Mystery Science Theater, just good old-fashioned nightmare fuel, um, (laughs) where... I mean, the kid has been born, like, I think, premature, and he's... uh, deformed and uh and it doesn't even look like a human child it looks more like a i don't know like a premature horse or a dog or something like that and it's and just its head is sticking out the rest of its body including its arms and legs are like wrapped up in this bundle yeah uh and it just like makes this horrible like bleeding it you know what bleating with a t it does it looks like a sheep to a certain degree and it makes a sound like a like a dying lamb and this is jack nance's child so he has to care for it uh absolutely repulsive though it may be (laughs) and and so there's a 
and so he has to like touch it and like it like spits up and it's like oh and he's treating treating it like a regular child it's like this is a nightmare child now i recognize that you can't you know you can't kill your own kid just because it's ugly um but and (laughs) would that you could oh man you kidding me and so uh so i recognize that he can't do that but he just but he never seems grossed out by he he is bothered by the kid but more just the general inconvenience of having a premature kid not the fact that it is this horrific animal and so there's and then there's a sequence where the kid gets sick and it's a smash cut to the kid's face so now on top of the kid the the little weird looking baby it now has like weird like chicken pock things Uh all over its face and it's horrible tongue is hanging out and then it cuts back to jack nancy's like oh you are sick it's like yeah it's been sick this whole time you insane man <laughs> like and it's it's precisely because he's never questioned it uh-huh. the whole time it's just the way things are and he just goes ahead as if everything was fine the whole time and then in that moment was like you are sick he's like ah it's not merely sick it's worse than it was it was bad uh-huh. and now it's worse that's <laughs> what it is and just and it's i've watched an eraser head once and it has remained in my memory much clearer than movies i've seen three or we four times it together right? we did watch yeah. it together probably about 10 years ago now yeah in that in that uh, cornelia apartment yeah and so but that image and just the relationship that he has with his child you know to a certain extent maybe it's it's loving you know it doesn't matter how gross his kid is he'll still love it but he doesn't really love it he understands it's a responsibility and he's taking care of it um and then eventually i believe he does kill the child by like cutting open the bandage that the kid is bundled up in and then uh basically oatmeal pours out oh my gosh just describing it it's so <laughs> gross and genuinely creepy uh-huh. and uh oh my gosh we can move on now uh, uh yeah i don't think i'm gonna be able to match that but nobody was, can yeah but i was thinking about people like treating things like they're normal or even being like pleasant you know like mm-hmm. oh you are sick that sort of pleasantness yeah and uh it reminded me of how creepy i find michael palin's character in brazil oh. <laughs> you know? oh, yeah. he's uh he's so pleasant yeah you know um and then not only is it horrible what he does for a living which is torture people yeah but he also puts on that mask and it's no different <sighs> than a doctor putting on a surgical mask except this is some weird big like baby face mask yeah. and and what i like is that his 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 friendly demeanor is really no difference than different than say any nurse who is pleasant to you except so it's just like it's like oh well he's got good bedside manner and just because i have to do this this is my job uh-huh. i have to do it but that doesn't mean i have to be a jerk about it yeah and there's and that makes it infinitely creepier that yeah because it shows that he's not questioning the incongruity is that the word yeah the incongruity of what he's doing and how he's doing it uh and that and yes that's a good example of like this is the reality these characters live in and the more mundane they treat it the creepier it becomes uh-huh. as, you know to us who are you know we're not used to it it's funny um though uh the other thing that came up a lot in my thinking trying to think of ideas and i'm running out of the ones i came up with by the way but that's good because we want to keep this short um but the, going back to the it, uh, Stephen King's it thing, um, the broad daylight thing, I find like uh, that that sort of like inability to rationalize like what you're seeing because it's clearly there. It's the sun mm-hmm. is shining on it, you know, um, literally and metaphorically. Um, God, my mouth is getting tired from doing two episodes in a row. Um, uh, that is that is a big a big thing for me. Um, and I know there's, uh, there's lots of daylight stuff in, in David Lynch's work. Uh, yeah. like the, the weird guy behind the diner in Mulholland drive. Ugh. Um, and then I know another one that came up. I can't remember if this was on Mike. I think this was off Mike last week. We talked about in the mouth of madness. Yeah. It was off Mike, right? I don't remember now. Okay. Well, in the mouth of madness, I think, uh, yeah, I think this might have been on Mike because I was talking about how I don't know. 
I liked the film a lot when I saw it, but I was pretty young. Yeah. And uh, I don't think it has a good reputation, so I don't know if it's if it's if I would still like it. But it definitely has some things that stuck with me, and some of those take place in in, in broad daylight. Yeah. Uh, and then another movie I mentioned last episode, um, M Night Shyamalan's Signs. The part with the kids' birthday party in in Guatemala. Uh, I don't know if you remember that. that yeah, that's the part that you always cited as being just the somehow terrifying to you. Yeah, because it's because it's so it's uh, it's so mundane and it's presented as a home video. You know, so mm-hmm. it's a lower quality quality video and it's it's uh, well done. The kids are act, acting like uh, like real kids, and um, but it's a different thing because it's not everyone acting normal. At the time that the video starts, they've already seen something and are all scared, but they're all also kind of excited. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're like following, you're looking in the bushes for where is is this thing, mm-hmm. um, and you know what's it going to look like when it when it jumps out because you're expecting it to jump out. You're expecting that this thing has these kids under siege in this right. house, and then finally the camera pans to the left and the thing just walks yeah. like like it's walking down the street which it is walks through the alley and, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, props to James Newton Howard for the, the pretty simple, like Tom strike or whatever that, that just like, poof, that yeah. thing that happens there. But yeah, it, uh, uh, yeah, it, it chills me and Joaquin Phoenix reacting to it. Do you remember that in the closet? He's sitting alone and watching TV in the closet. Mm-hmm. And he's leaning forward. He's looking for it. Yeah. And then when he sees it, he covers his hand with his mouth <laughs> and backs up as far as he can into the closet away from the TV. Yeah, the idea of of uh, a a villain uh, being unfazed by attention. Uh-huh. You know, that's that's what makes Halloween so creepy before it's genuinely scary. Is that we see Michael Myers again broad daylight just standing and staring Uh he's staring at her while she's in school you know like as she and a friend are just walking down the street he's standing in front of them you know he's not he's not like peeking out from behind a hedge part of him is behind behind it but he's just standing there looking at them and then steps behind and then it then it goes from being creepy to scary because now you don't know whether he's there or not and it's you're not you're you're anticipating and then it becomes scary but in that moment, it's just creepy. Yeah, I say just as if that's a small thing, but um, it reminds me of a recent film that I didn't love, but definitely had some genuinely good moments, which is the the Woman in Black. Mm. Um, and there's a part where Daniel, Daniel Radcliffe is uh, in the the house, and there's um, he's going to be there alone in this empty house because he's trying to uh, wrap up some insurance stuff because the person who lived in the house has died. Mm-hmm. Uh, there now you know the premise of <laughs> the woman in black. Um, he's in the house. It's daylight. It's a bit gloomy, like uh, you know, uh, foggy or whatever. But it's it's daylight, and he's been alone in this house working for hours. He goes to the window. He's in the second floor. Goes to the window, looks out, and there's a woman in a black dress standing in the yard and looking right in the window that he's looking at. Like, like much much like Pennywise, yeah. she was waiting for him to look. Yeah. And she and she doesn't step away. She just stands there. It's only when he goes downstairs to try and find her that she is gone. <laughs> um, yeah, and there's a. Uh, I'll bring up uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Of course, the Pale Man is quite <laughs> fright. He's scary when he becomes a threat. But there's just something about you know, he's not a threat until uh, the girl takes some food off the table. But he's still scary and certainly creepy. Uh Just like creepy because he's just sitting there. And you see on the wall like depictions of what happens when this thing comes alive. And in that moment, it's not alive. It's just sitting there. And so ostensibly there's nothing to fear. But it's precisely because you're so close to this thing that could so easily destroy you. But it's not, and you could get up and like touch it if you wanted to. Uh-huh. I don't know. There's something about being that close to. Uh, I don't know. It's it's. I mean, that, it's scary. It's a scary image as well. But it's it's creepy uh, because it's just sitting there motionless. And of course, Pale Man is uh, played by friend of the show Doug Jones. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
There is another. Uh, Pan's Labyrinth also has a guy like walking around with his cheeks slit open. Yeah, that's that's pretty creepy to me. I mean, I don't know if it's creepy; it's disturbing. D- disturbing is the word for it. Um, and so uh, I do want to. Um, I'm not really sure what category of creepy this would fit into, but I'll, I'll throw in a. You're a pretty much on things. your own from this point, unless I think of something else. Okay, and th- we should probably start wrapping up soon. Yeah, anyway. definitely. Okay, um, and lest anybody think that. Because I know plenty of people, and, and to a certain extent I agree, you know, when you go back and watch those 1930s uh, universal horror movies, they're not really scary. Uh-huh. You know, Frankenstein is more tragic, and, and Dracula, is there's just a nice style to it, but it's not really that scary. However, Renfield, played by Dwight Fry, is creepy as hell. Uh, because he just... He just has that big grin on his face, and he's and he's wide eyed, and it's you know it's an over the top performance, but uh, that's okay when it's Renfield because he's crazy and has been driven insane by a vampire. So maybe we're not dwelling in the world of reality here. So playing it over the top is perfectly fine in my view, um, and just the way he just creeps along always with the smile on his face. And I remember when, uh, when the ship comes into port and they find the raving lunatic aboard, like they mm-hmm. open the, the door to the hold and they just see him looking out smiling. And it's just, <laughs> man, oh man, Dwight Fry is kind of, I, I know that some people, uh, you know, talk about how great he is and, and they should, but he's sort of an unspoken hero of those films. Like I think he played Igor in, I believe bride of Frankenstein or maybe the first Frankenstein. I don't remember now, unfortunately, but, um, but yeah, he was, he was really wonderful. He's probably my favorite part of Dracula. And I was mentioning before, uh, that Cheshire cat is one of my favorite literary characters. Renfield is also one of my favorite literary characters. And anytime an actor plays him, whether it be Peter McNichol in Dracula dead and loving it or Dwight Fry, or of course, Tom Waits, uh, you can always see the actor having a great time Uh and, and just, really trying to see what it is, is it that makes Peter this... McNichol? Is it Peter McNichol? Is it McNichol? Yeah. Is he Renfield? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. In that, they do take... Uh, they conflate the characters, right? Well, there is a Jonathan Harker played by Stephen Weber, but they, they take a lot of Harker's journey and give it to... So Peter McNichol at the beginning. Yeah. So, the, yeah, the, that's why I'm confused. Because that beginning stuff, like the beginning of the of the film, yeah. of Dracula, which is what they loving it. Which is what they do with the... Uh, the uh, Todd Browning Dracula is they take Renfield and they and they have Dwight Fry give a very uh, upright and normal okay. performance and then he goes crazy. Okay, but uh, anyway, that's more talk about Dead and Loving It, Dracula Dead and Loving It than I ever expected to have on this. Oh, no question about it. Uh, and then I will. But I do still think that one joke is funny when he uh, says, "I'm scheduled to meet with Dracula," and it's like Dracula, Dracula, scheduled. <laughs> <laughs> I still think that's a funny joke. And I believe, I don't remember, I think that's Avery Schreiber, uh, famed um, uh, improviser from Chicago. Oh. Um, but uh, now I do want to mention a couple other sequences. Uh, the entire movie of Carnival of Souls is very creepy, but there's one sequence that seems so simple. And we've seen it in other movies, but for some reason in this movie, there is something very, very creepy about it and it's that uh this this girl goes to visit uh no she goes she moves to this small town and occasionally she will see this uh ghostly man with just this white face staring at her and whenever almost whenever he shows up the people around her no longer hear her Hmm. nor do they see her she becomes like a ghost except it only lasts a short time and then they can see her and interact with her again and it's fine but to see her running, al- run- running around like a crowded street, uh, you know, screaming for people to hear her. And I, I think the sound even goes down a little bit, so you can't really even hear them either. So just the, I-, I don't know, the idea of being completely isolated in the midst of a large group of people, you know, it's the way I describe it, like we've seen it before. And, 
you know, really how it's it's creepy in in concept, and so really how much creepier could it be in execution? There's something about Carnival of Souls. It is incredibly disturbing and creepy, and even when she's like dealing with actual you know ghosts and such, um, that is that's a little creepy itself. But there's something about just pleading for help, and in you know it, when you're walking down the street, if you were to start yelling help, somebody would interact with you. And there's something about her just running from person to person, screaming for help, and they just walk on by. Mm. Um, and it's very creepy. And then this will this will bring us into something that we mentioned uh, we forgot to mention earlier. Uh, the movie Parents, which I recently rewatched. Um, I saw it when I was a kid. I watched it because I was going to be on the show What the Fuck Are You Watching? hosted by uh, Battleship Pretension blogger uh, Kyle Anderson and Lincoln Hayes. Uh, He's which not a is, Battleship Pretension blogger. He's some guy. He's just some guy. Um, <laughs> but uh, their podcast, What the Fuck Are You Watching? has been added to the Battleship Pretension fleet. And so you can, you can listen to their, uh, their episodes at battleshippretension.com. But anyway, in Parents, which is kind of a horror comedy, uh, the young boy in the 50s our main character he suspects that his parents played by uh oh shoot randy quaid and i believe mary beth hurt uh he believes that they are cannibals and so there's a sequence where he is hiding from his parents in the food pantry and then in what turns out to be a fantasy sequence the you know like those long like salamis and stuff that are like maybe like two foot uh-huh. uh, two feet three feet long yeah like they're up on the top shelf there's just like a whole bunch of like long salamis and like meat tubes which yes i recognize it sounds like i'm talking about a penis now but um they re and by the way the phallic imagery uh, <laughs> is not lost uh, in the film but um they st- they like start moving uh-huh. like sl- like slow moving snakes and they like reach down and like envelop him and like pull him in and then it's revealed to be like a fantasy sequence that he's just imagining. But uh, when you see tubes of meat uh-huh. moving on their own, uh, entangling a child. Oh, like the tree in Poltergeist. Like the tree in Poltergeist. Except imagine the tree is tubes of meat. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you now that you mention it, I mean... It's, Poltergeist it's, is full of them. Oh, absolutely. Like the rotting meat on the table. Rotting meats, the guy pulling his own face out, uh, off and out. And then, He's uh, doing both, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And then the tree eating a child. Um, that's, I'm not, I think that goes beyond creepy in that moment. But what about the, the mom coming up for air in the pool that's suddenly filled with skeletons? Even though that's not like a supernatural image, it's because there are skeletons under yeah. and the rain has brought them up. Yeah. But her, like, trying to, like, Ugh. stay afloat, uh, surrounded by skeletons, that's pretty. That movie's pretty awesome. That's a pretty good movie. Um, so I want. So I feel like that's. I think that's when, uh, about it. And then from the, the dog, uh, you know the uh, the kid in Poltergeist, she like the light gets in, and she sort of disappears into the wall. Right. And the dog keeps staring at that one spot on the wall. Anytime that my cat is staring one spot on the wall, I'll mention that scene to my girlfriend, and it will. It creeps her out. She, oh, tells, she tells me to please <laughs> stop bringing that up. <laughs> and you never will because oh, yeah. you're inconsiderate. Exactly. So, uh, and then I think I will bring up one last, oh, I'm sorry, two last things. One is the weird-ass crab walk in The Exorcist. Right. Ugh. Ugh. I don't think I need to say any more except yeah. that noise because there's a lot of weird stuff in that movie, of course, but there's something about like a, a human body being contorted in a way that a human body is not meant to move and then moving like that. And then lastly, there's a lot of stuff in Cronenberg, but I will bring up a movie that is not often discussed, which is, uh, Existence. Oh yeah. I like those. A lot. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a really fun movie that I think was overshadowed by, uh, the matrix. Mm-hmm. Um, which the movies aren't very similar, but thematically there's some similar yeah. stuff going on. Um, so characters, plug into this port where they can be it's like a video game but it's also like virtual reality and all that and they plug into it like it plugs into their spines i believe they have the porks porks ports (laughs) surgically implanted at the base of their spine right and then they plug into this weird console Uh 
which m- is flesh colored and like moves. Yeah, it's like organic. It's like an organic thing, which is not at all unusual for like a Cronenberg film. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they just like <laughs> again, it goes to that idea. It's like. Why is no one questioning this? Yeah, but there are. Let me talk about some other things that happen in that movie. Mm. Like one person has an infected port that oh. is horrifying. Yeah, and there's the part where I think it's Jennifer Jason Lee's. Uh, who's the lead? Jude Law. Jude Law. Okay, and then Jennifer Jason Lee. I think her port is like he's having trouble getting it in, mm-hmm. and she he has to lubricate her port for her. So he's like licking the hole on, yeah. at the base of her spine. That's a PG-13 film. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and so even in a, a fairly accessible film like that, Cronenberg will still incorporate all his weird-ass stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and like, a lot of his movies are... are I really need to watch that again. It's been yeah. too long. Like, the, a lot of his movies are creepy, but I, 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 I almost would say they go into just straight-up horror and just being disturbing. Like, creepy, I think, is all about just something unsettling. Uh, not so much that like, it's like, oh, that's so, well, where you're actually scared, but you just feel like, oh, some, like you said, the wrongness of it. Mm -hmm. And often for me, when people just don't question the wrongness of it, that's when it is at its most creepy. And so I feel like we'll end there, but of course there's... I'm sure there's tons of movies and tons of scenes that uh, we've not talked yeah. about and you can put add- them in the comment section yeah. on the, uh, on the website. Also watch those videos that we did. Indeed. Yes. And watch them as we continue to do them. There's still more to, uh, at this point, the God bless America one is up. Oh, at this point, even the Bernie one, which is our final one for now. Yes. Might be up. Should be up. Yes. So, um, and I think that, I think that covers everything. It covers it. Yeah. So, um, Go to battleshipretention.com for reviews and, and videos and other such fun things. Uh, email us at david at battleshippretension.com or tyler at battleshippretension.com. Follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash thepretension. And follow Tyler on Twitter at twitter.com slash morelessons, which is the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which you can find at morethanonelesson.com or in iTunes. And you can find my other podcast, the weekly television review show previously on previously on at previously on show.com your fingers uh, up yes uh, i wanted to uh let everyone know anytime there's a new episode with more than one lesson which is not very often uh i like to uh if i think people will uh, enjoy the episode i like to let them know um at this point there will be an episode uh in which uh my co-host Josh and I discussed the films of Thomas McCarthy. He directed The Station Agent, mm-hmm. The Visitor, and Win Win. And uh, I love him as a as a writer and director. Um, what about vis- as an actor? As an a- I like him as an actor as well. Um, he's he often plays sort of like like bit parts and such, but he has a, a fairly substantial role in the last season of The Wire. Yeah, um, and he's very good. And I think probably a lot of his sensibility... I think he started as an actor, and I think a lot of his sensibilities as an actor have carried over into being a surprisingly sensitive writer and director. And so there's an episode about that, and you can go over to morethanonelesson.com and and hear that. Do that. All right. Um, So that's it. Thanks for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.